galaxy is burning. Brother fights brother, and treason splits the Imperium of Man. This is the Horus Heresy. Whether you're a warrior of the Legionis Astartes, an adherent of the Mechanicum, or a brave mortal in a galaxy of madness, you'll find a home here. Welcome to the Remembrancer's Retreat, coming to you from within the depths of the Vengeful Spirit. La 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 la, this is all stupid noise. See, it doesn't matter, because I can just trim it later. Yeah. It's all good. David, you made a good point today, I think, where you had mentioned Titanicus, right? So you've been, like, really convincing me about Titanicus, like, not going in hard immediately. Because you look at Necromunda, and how long has Necromunda been out? Like, over a year, maybe going on two, I think? No, not two. One uh, year, right? No, I think I think not they, even that. Like half a year, right? No, 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 right. no, no. Because it came out at Nova last yeah. year. Remember? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so okay. almost a year. Yeah, almost a year. And look at how they've only released their fourth army for it, or fourth little gang for it. And then, like Forgeworld's put out some weapons upgrades, finally for them, and that kind of stuff. But yeah, you can't jump into Titanicus right off the bat. Because it's going to take them time to get like the full line out, you know. So you might exactly. as well just hang out. That'd and be wait. stupid, Will. Yeah. <laughs> will, what are you? Some sort of casual? I was just going to fucking dive in and just like go like starter set all the. But like, I mean, really, no. Well, you, I mean, you could, but you wouldn't yeah. have anybody to play with, you know. Right. I mean, yeah. That's the thing. You with these games, and and, and in particular, specialist games, um, which are really based around, I think, a campaign setting. You, you've got to have the community, man. It, it's, you know, playing one-off games is fine, but really those games come into their own and shine uh, when you've got a group that you can, you know, p- play with on a regular basis and advance the storyline and build your, you know, build your characters. Exactly, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, like, the first book that's coming out on launch, I think, is only one theater of the war. And they're going to release, I think, four other theaters after that. So eventually they'll have all the Legios in there. But the first one's only going to have, I think, ten Legios. So if you're not a fan of one of those ten Legios, one of them that I particularly like is um, Ignatum is one, and then uh, uh, the guys from Mechanicum, Tempestus. Yes. They're my go-to ones, right? Yes. And they're not going to be in this campaign book. So Really? Yeah. That's crazy. They're both loyalists. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what does that mean? It just means that they're not at that particular part of the, the theater of war yet. They haven't escalated okay. to there. Okay. Well, I mean, it's no different than, you know, how Forge World was releasing Legions. You know, at one point... That's true. It was only, it was only like, the Isvan uh, 3, and then it moved to Isvan 5. So, I mean, it's going to be the same thing. And, well, it doesn't change, like, the game, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't go all out at the beginning. Because you go all out and then go all out again. And it doesn't mean that you can't probably, like, counts as play your favorite Legion, right? Yeah. Like, may not have Legion-wise, you'll paint them up like Legio Ignatum, but you won't have your Legio's rules, right? right? Which is fine. My thing, though, is waiting for, like, upgrade kits. They said Forgeworld will be doing upgrade kits. So you notice that the... Warlord Titan that is released only has the uh, super volcano cannons. What are those called on the arms? And then the Bellic- missile pods on Bellic- the shoulders. Yeah. Bellic- yeah, bellicose cannons, I think. Yeah. So it's only got the bellicose arms and then the shoulder mounted missiles. But Forge yeah. World is going to be releasing kits that allow you to put 
the power fist on, yes. uh, the shoulder-mounted cannons on, uh, yes. the plasma blaster, things like that. So I'm definitely going to be waiting until we see other variants of that kind of stuff. But it's definitely a game I'm not going to get so into to where... I mean, I'm just going to collect one manable. That's it. You know, some people yeah. are going to want maybe three demi maniples or, you know, whatever. But I think just one maniple, and that's good for any games. I think it's going to be freaking crazy. Uh, as for a specialist game, I think it's going to be a little more mainstream than we're used to because uh, there is a lot of hype about it. And I think there's a lot of 30K heads that are like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so cool. And it's, you know, because it is heresy setting, it's going to have a whole lot more background. You know, it's not like Necromunda where it's like limited fluff, really good game. Now it's a specialist game with all the fluff that you love supporting it. So that's a really interesting point, Robbie. So so they are releasing Titanicus, and it's branded as the Horus Heresy. So this is the first specialist game that we've seen that is set in the Horus Heresy that's branded as the Horus Heresy that has um, backstory fluff and legios from the heresy. So... I mean, I cannot imagine that we will not see in the future a black book that has scenarios and campaigns that support uh, that support Titanicus, or at least tie into the the yeah. you know the, the yeah, larger that conflict. That would be cool. Yeah, but honestly, I mean, with uh, Forge World handling special games, I think you're right. But I know that the book that's getting released with the starter pack, David, is that already. Oh, really? Yeah, it's got like campaign, a big old it's black book. Fluff. It's not technically a black book. Is I think it's paperback, but um, it will have the same kind of content as you would see in a black book, I believe. Like a lot of Neat. in-depth fluff, uh, big uh, layouts of different legios and color schemes and that kind of stuff. Yes, yeah. that's, that's what I'm hearing. I and I hope. You know, I don't know how much of that is uh, is uh, wish listing. You know, no, I, I think I think that's right. I, I've heard I've heard sort of the same thing, and it makes sense. Um, you know, given the you know that that Forge Worlds also in control of specialist games, and you know they're pretty invested in this. Uh, I think what I've heard is that it's all going to come to sort of you know culmination at Beta Garmin. Right, so Beta Garmin mm-hmm. is Titan Death, is the setting for the next Black Book, is you know where Titanicus is going. Um, so I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see it all come together in what is Malevolence's Book Eight, right? So I think we're going to see it all come together in Book Nine. Oh um, yeah, mm-hmm. maybe yeah. they, awesome they could push the Dark Angels back yeah. another time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse, we're yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's fine, right. Dave. I appreciate it. It's cool. You'll get a PDF update. I just want some know. goddamn transfers. That's all I want. <laughs> Blood Angels got them like a couple months ago. It's like, okay, where's the other yeah, half of the Angels of Darkness? Sneaky, like yeah, yeah, like real sneaky. It's like where are these come from all of a sudden? Yeah. Um, but I think are we ready to get into it? Yeah, we're already into it. What are you talking, all right. talking about? Um, so we have uh. Maryland Strike Team event. We're going to talk about that. We're going to do uh, uh, Heresy Grad School with uh, Professor J and Dr. D on the mic. <laughs> so, and, is this Loveline? Uh, 
Yeah. Wicka, wicka, wicka. Boom. And, uh, yeah, and then we, I don't know, we'll try to fill some time then and uh, see if we got anything else. I'm sure we can fill this time. Yeah, um, so, yeah. I guess what are we doing? We're doing what we've been up to, right? Yeah, everybody, welcome to the Remembrances Retreat. What have we been up to? Dave, you're first. Go for it. Oh, man, what have I been <laughs> up to? Uh, not not a whole lot. I mean, um, gaming-wise, it's been a, it's been a little bit of a dry spell, but uh, I have started a couple pretty awesome uh, projects with uh, with uh, some folks that do commissions. So um, I'm starting a Battlefleet Gothic slash Battlefleet Heresy fleet um, that is going to be uh, it's going to be pretty awesome. But I'm I'm uh, I'm just sort of in the beginning stages of what that's going to look like right now. Um, but yeah, no, I haven't been doing a whole lot. Just kind of brushing up on the lore and, and, uh, building my library. Uh, yeah, and I'm looking forward to getting some more games in, in, uh, the next couple of weeks. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we got Ariana Forge coming up next week, right? Well, yeah, that's, Wait, that's this week, right? Big thing, man. No, it's yes. Yeah, Saturday. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, that. So nice. Yeah, looking forward to that. Jesse. Yes. Will you be available tomorrow at some time? I can drop off your night for you. Oh wait, we're going to that movie. So yes. Yeah. I'll, I'll bring you to the movie. I just want to make sure you have That's your fine. whole uh, 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 little clan together before. Yeah, you that's perfectly fine. Um, but in that case, yeah, I'll just go with what I've been up to. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, been painting up some dark angels going to dark angels 2.0 this time. Okay. That was weird. This time with more Caliban. That's a green show. Yep. And, um, I haven't shown you pictures Traitors for life. <laughs> I haven't shown you pictures yet, but I am starting to work on like a heraldry on their shoulder pads. Cause like, screw it. I could wait for transfers, or I can just try freehand and just, I guess a little bit of half-assed freehand is better than just plain old shoulder pads. So sure, sure. It's been I working know, out okay. Steven, once, Steven's really good at doing freehand, and he's just done it through experience. And I think the same thing as um, Austin. Both those dudes do, like, excellent little stencil, or not stencil, oh, yeah. but uh, little bits of freehand. And yeah, I think I, it's just a matter of... Just practice, I guess. Yeah, that's and using a smaller brush. Like, I don't know. I'm always kind of just tabletop quality guy, so I've used a fairly... Uh, Two-inch brush. You could use the single <laughs> sable hair. Just one sable hair and just do yeah. that. Deep. <laughs> I'm not that crazy, but, um, yeah, using a smaller brush has actually worked out pretty well for me. I, I guess I've gotten a steadier hand over the past uh, few years, which is weird, but I'm okay with that, too. Less stress, but we won't get into that. Um, but yeah, no, it's been great. Looking forward to uh, showing them off. Been uh, working on the uh, Falchion. Yeah, that was awesome. That. Yeah, and um, today I've been showing pictures. They're working on the lion using yeah, the uh, Kabuki hair and his uh, yeah. little beard. <laughs> yeah, the Kabuki uh, lion knight model, which has been pretty awesome. So yeah, looking forward to showing that off here pretty soon. Awesome. That's been basically it. What about uh, Jason? What have you been up to, Jason? All right. Uh, let's see here. 
pretty much the same boat as Dave. Uh, it's been a little bit of a dry spell game-wise for me. But as we speak, I'm also uh, putting together some Battlefleet Heresy models uh, ever so slowly, building my uh, Dark Mechanical Fleet. Uh, I'll tell you, there is nothing like uh, cracking open a brand new box of 20-year-old uh, plastic. Actually, uh, caught a few uh, brand new uh, Chaos Cruisers on an uh, eBay auction for like, I think 40 bucks altogether, but uh, just putting them together now. Uh, trying to uh, figure out what I want to do with the other one of them. But, uh, pretty entertaining. More or less all I've been up to hobby-wise. When you uh, crack that box open, did you get that like old plastic smell and take you back to down to, like <laughs> nostalgia lane and everything like that? And you're like, oh, yeah. Blow off all the asbestos first? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Every one of these sprues is labeled uh, Games Workshop 1999. That is so sexy. Right? It's what, uh, it's what we were all about at uh, Remembrancer's Retreat. Is that old dude stuff. <laughs> Very cool, man. Yeah, and uh, you're doing a Mechanicum fleet, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Uh, dark Mechanicum fleet. So, yeah. uh, Kind of helping uh, Austin and Steve test out the rules for it. It's been pretty entertaining so far. It's kind of a, a meld of Imperial and Chaos ships with little bitty uh, Mechanicum gifts. So much like the Mechanicum in 30K, everything is super expensive and you <laughs> a bank of rules to worry about that you forget half of. Super cool. You know what I really think I like most about BFG is seeing everybody put their fleets together and they're all basically just they're they're 30k armies in the void though you know what i mean well everybody's still using their same legion because people just love their legions and even in bfh you still want to rep it you know what i mean sure 100 percent. so what else do we have ryan robbie who wants to go first oh i'll go so i've uh, coming off of like two weeks of having the plague, so um, yeah, me too, man. I was yeah, it's been it's dead. been a rough May. I'm glad June is here because May sucked. But uh, a couple things I got going on, so I pulled the trigger on a new project. This is going to be something for 2019, but it's going to be uh, Thramus Crusade, Ooh. Archangel versus Night Lord. Two all, um, opposing ZM forces with a oh. display board city fight type thing. So I'm going to have wow. a thousand points of Dark Angels, a thousand points of uh, Night Lords, and I've, I've already collected everything. So it's on the shelf. It's going to be ready to go for 2019. Awesome. But awesome. every time I look at it, I want to start painting it. So uh, <laughs> it might happen sooner. Treat um, yourself. Treat yourself. Um, I finished up five destroyers for my white scars, which is going to be part of the Nova uh, Zone Mortalis Force. So I was glad to get those done. I've only got um, six more models to do for that, uh, which will probably be the last couple weeks before Nova. And then today, uh, I was able to prime, even though we had really bad weather, I primed up the first half or third 
of the scatter terrain for three of the zone mortalis tables for Nova. Oh yeah, I saw um, that. Yeah, lots yeah. of cool stuff there, man. So uh, pretty excited. I'm going to start putting some paint. I'm going to just start chunking stuff out and working through that. The next six to eight weeks will probably be all building and painting of zone mortalis terrain because I got five tables to build and now now's the crunch time to start getting into it. You well, can do it. For the uh, strike team stuff, I uh, appreciate you putting in all that effort for that terrain that we'll be using. Oh, yeah. And yeah. you're more than welcome to it. No, I'm kidding. Um, but Mark <laughs> did say I could use some of his stuff. And the good thing is, like, they got so many terrain on all those tables, and the tables for the strike team are only going to be 4x4. Four four, so I'll be able to, like, make them super cluttered up and everything. I do have to get yeah. a bunch of airfields, though, landing pads. So... I'm thinking, like, there's, um, what is it, like the, uh, uh, like hangers or like landing pads? No, like landing pads, like, oh, like okay. a Harvest or a Thunderhawk. Yeah. Not a Thunderhawk, but like a Storm Eagle could land on. Yeah. Gotcha. Oh, all, all the, all the yeah, okay. Titan owners have bought them all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh. okay. So, the, yeah, Ty, uh, one of the Grand Legion guys, some of his Necromunda terrain. That's not quite large enough for a Thunderhawk, but it's smaller. Some smaller landing pads. Yeah, we'll, exactly. we'll have stuff available. We'll be able to make some landing pads. Yeah, but um, so you know, as we'll discuss later, those are needed for the uh, last mission. So, so I got to look at getting some of those put together. Exciting stuff, indeed. Uh, so Robbie, Robbie, what about you? Yeah. Oh man. Uh, I've been in like a hobby dry spell, I would say. Uh, last thing I did was played a Battlefleet Heresy game with David, Jason, and Patrick, and we did like a four-way thing, and it ended up ended up just being doubles uh, because the orcs and the mechanic come, you know, are way more buddy than we realize. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was it. And then I hit a dry spell because my body decided uh, it wasn't strong enough and I had to get an emergency appendectomy. Uh, so I almost almost died, guys. Uh, it was it was bad. I was pretty calm about it. And it wasn't until I woke back up from the surgery that I freaked out. I was like, oh, my God, I forgot to tell Brooke what to do with my models if I die. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> other than that, man, it's uh, I'm, I'm recovering now. I've got the itch. I want to do some painting and some crafting. I want to start a new army. I want to finish the Salamanders. But but right now I'm just waiting. Um, hopefully, uh, if recovery goes well, um, I will be in attendance on Saturday for, for Dave's big thing. And that's where I'm at, guys. No Dude, that, nice. that, is, that is dedication right there, listeners, right? So Robbie had a near-death experience, and the first thing he said when he woke up is, what do I do with my models, right? There's nobody that can say they are fucking harder for heresy right now than Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> that is right. That is, that is legit, dude. Our hat's off to you, sir. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks. And the answer to that is give them to Ryan. Is it? <laughs> I, so. I, I don't know. I, I thought he needed an answer. And I still don't. I, it, it was the the whole thing of like you know what people say. It's like uh, when I die, I hope my wife doesn't sell my models for what I told her I paid for them. 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that was that was just the whole line of hold on, hold on Brooke wants to say something. I've yeah. cast them in gold and put them on his tombstone because I know. <laughs> nice. No, don't put them now. In gold now Brooke somebody knows. will take them. Oh my god. No, no, she she knows. She knows about this this yeah. hobby. Um, but now I, I was I woke up and I was like I didn't give anybody instructions on what to do with them. Like I didn't care about any of my other stuff or my other assets. I was like. I forgot to tell Brooke what to do with my models. So my I think the first thing you need to do is go create a living will for your models. So people know what happens to them if something mm -hmm. happens to you. No, no, this is good, man. This is Robbie has crossed into like where most people wish they could be. Like Brooke knows, man, like Brooke mm -hmm. is part of the inner circle now. Like she knows. And so it's all good. And she's okay with it. Yeah. And so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like, Near-death experience turns out well, dude, right? You know, brings you closer together. And uh, no, that's... Robbie, we're just really fucking happy you're okay, man. Like, we just can't yeah. wait for you to get back to the table. Dude, me too. Yeah, that's it, awesome. It, yeah. it gives me, like, a little more respect for the uh, the the men of iron. You know, the flesh yeah. is weak. <laughs> like, really, really, for real, I'm mad I don't have bionics right now. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was promised an upgrade. <laughs> awesome stuff. Will, have you uh, mentioned what you've been up to this week? Uh, let's see. Um, was that last week I finished up the Castle X? I don't know. I don't listen I don't to this know. podcast. What are you talking about? Yeah, neither do I. Um, well, I did five Castle X and mm -hmm. uh, six Terminators. Added those to my Iron Hands. And that puts me up at 3,000 points for the Iron Hands, or the Shattered Legion, I should say. And so I'm putting that project on hold while I work on the BFG fleet uh, picked up. So when that gets here on the 18th, I'll start working on that. But in the interim, I'm uh, painting a bolt action fleet. Or fleet, no, they don't have fleets on <laughs> fucking bolt action. Uh, what? A uh, 82nd Airborne uh, unit in bolt action, which is really cool. This is what I love about bolt action guys i know this is a bolt action podcast so it's okay to talk about it but <laughs> i was in the first of the 504th parachute infantry regiment and i can play the first of the 504th parachute infantry regiment in the game and that's that super cool. cool that is that is pretty awesome do you have a uh poor private will <laughs> yeah yeah and he's fucking the ammo bearer he's the ammo yep. bearer who carries yep. around the fucking 30 cal ammo everywhere that's right yeah carry around that mortar base private yeah mm -hmm. uh but that's really it oh and uh started working on my uh armies on parade board i know that's kind of like a weird subject for some people it obviously is like a popularity contest right um very rarely do i see people submit content for an armies on parade and it turns out to be like oh that should have won it was more like that guy had the most friends in the sort of vote for him yeah. but I still like it as a hobby project to sidetrack you from your main projects. You know? They are pretty fun. And uh, so I'm doing a uh, Age of Sigmar death board for that. And then, last thing, to bring it back all around to Horus Heresy, is I bought all the supplies I would need to start making terrain for the Istvan 5 board. Oh, yes. Yes. So... It's going to be very light on terrain, guys. I was going to say, you bought a lot of black sand. 
Yeah, well, we're using uh, the mats that you linked me, David. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So absolutely. we're going to use two of those mats. The reason we're using battle mats and not like 3D terrain, obviously, 5,000 points per player. And Holy shit. Well, 5,000 point max. That's the ceiling. Oh, you okay. Can bring gotcha. a minimum of 1,000. It's just like we want you to have, like, there, there's like a wide berth for people. If you want to play in the Horus Heresy Istvan 5 mission, and you have an army that meets all those requirements, bring it. Nice. We'll find a place for you, you know? Spoiler uh, alert, though. Yeah, no, I'm not alert. sure if anybody's aware, but the loyalists do lose that one. So if you come Ooh. as a loyalist and expect to, like, change history, I mean, you might. I don't know. But I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> but really, the only terrain is at the far end of the traitor side that will have Horus and Fulgrim. There's going to be a uh, big kind of rock canyon with defenses in it. And there will be a hill near the Loyalist side that will have Fulgrim and Ferris. They'll start in base-to-base contact on that, and they'll be fighting on that for the duration of the game. And then there's going to be like a couple little small hills scattered about to give you line-of-sight blocking. But uh, yeah, it's going to be really sparse terrain and just a whole bunch of shit getting blown up. Cool. Yes. Dig it. Titans? Yeah. Titans, absolutely. As nice. long as they are a part of the Legios that were there. Fair. Yep. But What's the cap of Mastodons? Uh, uh, how many can you fit in a list? Is it, I mean, I guess just one right now. There you go. There's a cap. All right. Does anybody actually have multiple Mastodons? No, nobody in the world has multiple. Well, no. Take that back. Unless they're different I Legions. Know guy, I know one guy who has multiple uh, Mastodons, or he did at one point at least. He's a dude on Heresy 30K, uh, Rogel, if I'm pronouncing his name right, but he had two Death Guard Mastodons. Wow, that's a mass a ton of Mastodons. <laughs> yes, it is. Man, that was painful. Sorry, guys. <laughs> All right, let's edit that one out and do no, it. No, no, no. Okay, that was... That, you Mastodons. of... Dons, uh, that's a that's a mass of Dons. There you go. And there we go. go. What's the Space Marines' favorite cocktail? What, Robbie? Mastodon Perion. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, 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 my sides. <laughs> yeah, wow. so that's me. All right, cool. Getting ready for events. I got like a bunch of little distractions going on simultaneously, so I'm just knocking them out. The main army of Shattered Legion three is three thousand points, so I'm good to go. I think for a little while on that, and uh, yeah, very cool. And that's pretty impressive because awesome. you have what two vehicles? You have the Arcus and uh, Lightning. It's it is <laughs> monstrous creatures and infantry mostly. I love it. Nice. It's so awesome. We did. We did. Okay. Awesome. Cool. So that is everybody. That is what we've been up to. Uh, Craig, what have you been up to? Well, you see, sir, my money, I've been up to some cool stuff. I've been listening to you guys talk all the time, and I don't forget anything. Well, thanks, Craig. I appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Craig. All right, let's move on. Jesse, what do we got? All right, uh, coming up next, we've got the uh, strike team recap over up in Maryland. We've got, we have, what do we have? We got Heresy Grad School after that. And uh, so we'll take a quick break and be right back. Awesome. 
And we're back here with Ryan to talk about the Maryland 30K's strike team event that was held yesterday, right? Yesterday? Friday? Saturday. Yeah, that's right. No, we uh, ran it Saturday. So it was. Uh, Tell us all about a, it. Yeah, it was a uh, laid back event. It wasn't really, man, it was an event, but it was more of a get together. Um, and so what the intent of this was, was to pull in some uh, volunteers to play test some missions that Will had done up for uh, the Nova Strike Team event. And so we had uh-huh. five players show up, uh, including myself, which was pretty good. Um, I got to play my word bearers, which I had been working on over the last couple months. So it's always fun to get new models on the table. And we had, sure thing. yeah, we had uh, Evan, who was down your way a couple weeks ago. He showed up with Iron Warriors. Uh, Phil showed up with some Death Guard. We had uh, Trader Mechanicum, and we had Ultramarines, which was cool because I got to challenge nice. some Ultramarines and strike team. Oh yes, perfect. Yeah, it had to happen. Um, yeah, so totally it was cool. We had battles. Uh, I imagine for you then. What's that? I said, was that an arcology themed battle for you then? Well, so we were we were. I just used the terrain that uh, was at the store. So we basically set up two city fight tables, a really super densely packed city fight. Um, but I, I thought it was definitely, it, it occurred on Calth as far as I was concerned. Yes, sure. Um, but uh, yeah, it was good. So we had, because we had uneven players, uh, one table ended up being a three-way you know, free-for-all. And then I played uh, Race and his Ultramarines on the second table. And... Uh, you know the the way that Will laid out the missions. Basically, each mission uh, there are three of them. Each mission leads into the next. And I don't know if you want to talk about that now, Will, or yeah, let's do that. All right. So, first mission is your strike team is deployed. And what's great is the way I wrote this is no matter who's reading it, it works in your favor. So it's not like loyalists are doing this and traders are doing this. It's just you read it and you're like, oh, this is my mission. Okay, got it. So, you know, it, I wrote that because I didn't want to have to predict, like, all right, well, what if traders win round one? That's How's that going to affect round two, you know? Uh, anyways, so the point is that your strike team is detached from the main planet's assault and you are out to neutralize high-value targets of the enemy in a, what was it? Oh, it's a moon, I think it is, or a star base. I can't remember. Yep. But these high-value targets are like logistics officers or uh, planetary overlords who are, you know, helping feed the main war effort. So you have a very important job to help, uh, you know, commit subterfuge against the enemy that's not on the front that will still help the dudes on the front out, you know? So it starts out where your unit is deployed, and you have to find a data slate that has the names of the high-value targets. And your second mission is to go neutralize those high-value targets, and the third mission is to uh, exfil from the site with your team. So pretty straightforward operation, right? And I loved how they all ran together, and the overarc thing was it was all just one mission your strike team was sent out to do. I like but, it. Uh, how did it actually end up on the table, Ryan? Yeah, so I mean, I think it worked out really well. Um, it 
the cool thing about the way you wrote the missions is you kept it simple, um, which I really appreciated because Strike Team is already uh, a fairly simplistic game, right? I mean, you're play- basically playing Skirmish 30K. Uh, you know, the general rules for uh, Will's rules are it's 300-point force, right? And each model is taken individually. So you have to buy the model. So you buy a tac- tactical marine for 10 points, and then you can give them the normal tactical marine upgrades. And you can have two elites, two fast attack, six troops, and two heavy support. And then you have one character you can take who's your leader. So, and then you also get to give, you know, some upgrades to a couple of the different models. But it's already a really, like, short, sweet, simple setup for a force. And then you add these missions on top, and you're not sitting there for 15 minutes reading through a complex mission pack. You can, you literally take two minutes, and you can set up, start setting up the game. You can read it out to, you know, however many players are around you, and everybody knows pretty much, okay, it's straightforward, it's easy. And because you're only advanced, like, game rules in it, there's a couple of your changes, right? So, like, Vexilla's, uh, they work for any model within six inches. Narthesians work for any power armor or artificer armor within three inches. So there's little changes to war gear, but all the war gear is still there in the same way it was. Yeah, absolutely. So if if you are a 30K player who plays standard Age of Darkness games and you're familiar with how a bolter shoots and how your tactical marine moves and what he does, none of this is going to be out of the ordinary, and it's super easy to pick up. Um, and it just changes the scale. You go from large battles down to a skirmish-style game where you have up to 12 models moving independently, shooting independently, and assaulting independently. And it's it's really fun. Um, the missions themselves, you know, the first one was the status slate mission. Uh, so, you know, there it was the objective-based mission up, up front. And it made for a really interesting setup. I played against uh, races ultramarines. I kind of have a gun line set up with a few assault. I have um, my Galvorback Dark Brethren as my leader, and I have two Ashen Circle, and those are kind of my assault element. And then I have a lot of shooting. I have rotor cannons, plasma guns, heavy bolters, some outflanking tactical marines. Um, Always a solid choice in that game. Yeah, so and I like that because you can you know you can choose a upgrade for your leader and the one that I like uh, that I used throughout the whole day was uh, D three plus two of your models gain the outflank rule, which is cool because that that adds a a whole level of um, right and know, the tactical... only way to bring reserves on in strike team is with outflank. Yeah. There is no, like, holding guys in reserves and then deep striking. There is no, uh, uh, what is it, like, waiting till turn two to bring guys on. <laughs> Dave, what's, what's going on there? <laughs> we can hear everything. <laughs> we hear it all. But, um, so reserves are special. In that, well, not special. They're just, like, you only are allowed to outflank. Yeah. So no jump troops can deep strike or anything like that, which is fine, I think. Um Although it does kind of neuter people who pay the 15 points for Terminators to deep strike. So, I don't know. 
that's yeah, but something the, we, you, we have to look and avoid that, that in, in your list build, right? Because that's right. anyone that can deep strike with uh, so Imperial Fists and Night Lords and stuff, they have to pay for that upgrade. So since you can't use it, nobody's going to pay for it or shouldn't pay for right. it. Um, but, you know, the mission itself went really smooth. Um, what I really love about this format of game is that every bolter round that is fired is potentially it can potentially sway the game um you know a rapid firing bolter two shots hitting a terminator like yeah i get my two up save but if i roll that one i just lost a significant part of my force yeah to a tactical marine um, it's it's as it's equivalent as getting an explode result on say like leviathan dreadnought that's oh, what absolutely. it feels like you know yeah yeah, and um, because there's also a mechanic in strike team that once you've lost more than half of your strike team, you have to start taking leadership tests on dudes um, because your strike team can be broken. And if you fail a leadership test, they go away. So that that actually in my first game, um, you know, between myself and race, we probably lost four or five models just from failed leadership tests, and it made the Game, uh, round four and five of that game, like super close. I had two models left on the board, and he had one. Um, and I mean, if I had if I had a, one dude that was sitting on the objective, the data slate, if he had failed his leadership test, that would have been it. Like, there's no way to score. Yeah. Or which or then makes word bears really good because you guys get the three d six, right? Yeah. I realized after that game, I was like, oh, shit, I can roll 3d6 and take the two lowest. That's fantastic. Yeah. So that game, I completely forgot it. And then the, the next two games, I remembered it. Yeah. Um, but there's things like Vexillas um, allow you to re-roll the failed break test. Yep. And then Nuncio Voxes uh, let you expand the... Um, command range. The commander range, right? So if you have a commander that, say, has leadership 10... Or leadership nine, and you've got a Vexilla on the board. You can expand. Or you can, you know, expand his leadership value to the guys, you know, within proximity of that nuncio box. So there's benefits to taking back. Like a Vexilla is really important, especially if you have four or five dudes kind of clustered around a Vexilla. Like that's that's going to be critical. Being able to re-roll that um, that failed leadership test really. Yeah, is, it's the is box. It's the box that lets you uh, act as though you have the commander's. Uh, leadership ability in a range, and then the Vexilla then allows you to reroll it. So keeping a Vox dude and a Vexilla guy together really does help your entire force out, you know? Which, yeah, which is sure, because like you normally in a strike team, you might not bring a Vox. You think like, oh, I don't need to draw a line of sight, or there's no uh, you know, you can't bring artillery or anything like that, but it's the other effects of extending command range, and it's only once you've played it that you realize like, oh, I really need to worry about command range now. Absolutely. Um, so to, to wrap up the first game, uh, it was just brutal. It was it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. Uh, my Dark Martyr, so I took, as my character, I took a Galvorback Dark Martyr, which is just at the limits of what's allowed because he has three wounds. He is a character. He's not an independent character. He's toughness five, strength five. He's got a power fist and artificer armor. So he's an absolute beast. Um, all three of my games, he ended up getting shot off the board. But in this particular game, he was definitely the MVP. I think he assaulted and killed four, possibly five, uh, Ultramarines by himself. Yeah, I knew. I knew he just rampaged. 
Steven's Dark Martyr. Oh man! So Stephen brought a, brings a Dark Martyr, and then two Galvor back. So my Mordathan immediately had to start targeting those guys down and doing uh, Death Strike or what is it, Fatal Strike on them. Um, yeah. But even his Dark Martyr, I couldn't stop. So what I ended up doing was taking tacticals and just roadblocking, and like I would char, you know, put a tactical an inch away from him. And but we were in a ZM style game. So he had to go through the tactical to get to my leader, and it was like a slay the leader sort of thing. So I just kept roadblocking him until I could finally shoot him down, which I never could, you know? Yeah. But it's little, it's, it's like more strategic thinking like that in the smaller scale. That, and ultimately, I think it helps you in the big games too. Because if you're looking at it in the big games, you might not think I can use a tactical squad to roadblock uh, Death Star in such a way. But then when you play it in the smaller game, you're like, I can use a 10-point model to slow down a 50-point Terminator, a 50-point Siege Timer Terminator. You know what I mean? And, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I like it. It's cool uh, because, like, those small games like that, like, that's exactly how I picture a lot of the stories that are going on, you know, when you're reading. You know, you're not always reading about those large engagements. Uh, you hear about, like, the immediate vicinity like you know that one really powerful dude that it's like the regular space marines are like the astartes are like how the fuck do i take on this galvor bot now i've never even seen one of these yeah. so and now that actually going on in a game where you're like throwing your plebs at them because that's what you got to do like that's you know in the story like they're dying by the folds just to kill this one guy you know in like a big you know frontline game you know you'll use a uh, tactical squad, and you might actually kill some Galvorbach by shooting, but but in the story, that's not how it goes at all. Yeah, so Strike yep. Team, I think, does uh, replicate stories and narrative pretty well in that sense. Oh, definitely. I think you can build some really strong narrative off of it. Um, go and you know, as an example, going into my turn two or my my second game, I played against Evan and his Iron Warriors, and Evan, uh, you know, in the rules. That we have, you can take a transport, right? Yes, you it's, can. it's limited. As Basically, as you can take a rhino. Armor. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a rhino so, or a speeder, land speeder. That's right. So he took a rhino and he he pretty much had, you know, two um, siege tyrants, the terminators, yep. Yep. and then an apothecary character as his leader, and then a, a bunch of tacticals and uh, maybe a seeker in there or something. But uh, yeah, I mean, he. It was very impressive. It was frustrating to me because I have a I have a gun line and I tried to tried to spread out my gun line so I could have maximum fields of fire and all that kind of stuff. But that one single damn rhino having the ability to move terrain essentially have this movable piece of terrain. He was yeah, able to you know sight, yeah yep he was able to keep eight power armor dudes basically tucked in behind this thing. They were out in the open, and then he would shimmy it back do all his shooting and shimmy it forward um, and then pretty much block most of my shooting. And it was a creative way to use the Rhino. And it, t it basically had to sacrifice my Galvor back, assaulting that with his power fist and then being exposed to, you know, eight or 10 dudes with bolters um, to take that thing out. And that was a fun game. There was, uh, I was out flanking with my tactical Marines and uh, again, the leadership came into it. I got him down where he, had to take a break test. He had three models left on the board and he rolled three tens for each. I mean, for each of his models, he rolled a 10 
so he ended up losing the rest of his army just on break tests, and the game was just over, uh, which sucked for him, but it kind of goes to how quickly the game can sway. Um, As soon as both teams are broken, uh, which I think in every one of my games, uh, both sides ended up being broken where everybody was taking leadership tests, the game can swing very rapidly, um, and you're not going to have a clean victory playing this. So it's it's a lot of fun. It, it makes it, there's a chance factor in there that's pretty high. So um, that's awesome. Is there any? We talked about some glaring issues, right? Uh, currently, the, the way I had it before. So this this event helped me put together an errata um, for the main package uh, of the event. So if you're listening and you're going to the event. I've already posted it up on the Nova Open page, the Nova Open Horse Heresy Gaming Group. Um, but in case you're just hearing it for the first time, go read it. Some of the rules have changed. For example, any weapon a support squad unit can take that's free, you can take in mass, right? So the way we had it before was you had to have two compulsory troops for every one support unit. That being so we didn't see six tactical support marines all with plasma guns. Because those were some of the lists people were showing me, like, oh, this is so cool. Or militia armies that had just six LAS cannons in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so there's things like that, which is why we had this rule. But you can take roto cannons, full kites, and flamers, as many as you want. Because those weapons are handicapped unto themselves, I feel. A roto cannon in strike team, it is nice because you get all those dice. But it's not, it's still a rotocannon, you know? Uh, also, we've introduced Lookout Sir, because before you couldn't Lookout Sir on the models because you're not in a unit, but now you can perform a Lookout Sir to any model within three inches of you, which I think is nice. Um, also, I want to talk about mobility in that game, because when we look yeah. at, I, I'm going to use Evan as an example, because he plays Iron Warriors really well. He's got like a mobile fortification. And he's pushing up, and he's pushing up as a single wave through the objective. But when you're talking about six objectives or ten objectives on a table, you got to spread out and move. And Strike Team is is a lot about mobility, so make sure you put in some units in there that have mobility. Because there are objective grabs that you yeah. can go to, you know what I mean? And yeah. make sure you're prepared for armor, because you might see a Rhino or a Speeder in there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think... You know, there's pluses and minuses to the Rhino, and uh, I think what it's really good for is being able to pop, you know, two or three guys in there, maybe a Seeker or a couple Tactical Marines or whatever, or even, I mean, if you want to protect your character, throwing him in there. Sure. Um, And then just pushing that towards an objective, right? So, like, you make a strong entrance, uh, strong, I guess, breach point into the enemy line. It's going to be harder to take that thing out. And then using the remainder of your force to, you know, create fields of fire and firing lines and all that kind of stuff. Um, the flip side of that is you can put your whole, I mean, you can put 10 dudes in there. They can't start in there, but they can, in theory, on the first turn, they're all going to, they can all embark it. Um, and then just push that forward and redeploy your forces. So there's, there's different ways to use it. Or you can just, I mean, you can also just run it as a single model with nothing in it. And it's if even putting a heavy bolter, a multi-melt, a heavy flamer on on that um, havoc launcher. I don't know. There's different things yeah, you can yeah. do that a you rhino, might not normally. That's do. what's crazy. Is like yeah. in this in this type of theater, 
a rhino is like bringing a bane blade i feel yeah i mean i had really uh, two, two rounds it, of shooting on on a rhino um i had a plasma gun shooting at it and i had a reaper auto cannon shooting at it for over two rounds those are both strength seven, so I should, in theory, I should be able to at least put some glances yeah, on there. I have but because a... it's only two models, uh, I was I was either missing or I wasn't glancing. So yeah, you don't have enough sustained firepower to take out even a rhino assault. You know that's why I had to end up assaulting it with a Galvor back, but then he's sitting there with his power fist in his hand, um, and you know got shot down. So the blands goes, yeah. But uh, yeah, so I have an auto cannon in my strike team, and a missile launcher. And those are my two heavy support, because neither Iron good, Hands yeah. nor Raven Guard have any sort of special heavy Terminator, like Fulmentaris or Tyrants. Um, but yeah, those two guys, I think they're pretty reliable. They, the, the missile launcher, I've got him as a Raven Guard, so he'll be able to infiltrate and go around where he needs to go to get possibly side armor on something. Uh, and then the Iron Hand has got the auto cannon because what's more fucking cool than that? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Triple barrel auto cannon. God. Yeah. Who was it that? Oh yeah, that's right. The salamander terminators that have the triple barreled <laughs> auto cannons from, um, they complement my melt a bomb catapult. Deeds endured. Yeah. Or, uh, what is it? Is it, um, yeah, it's deeds endure. Yeah. Is weak, but deeds endure. yeah. Uh, but yeah, Ryan, um, Overall, positive takeaway from it then, right? Oh, definitely. Um, I, I think everybody had fun. Uh, you know, it gave everybody a different way to play their army. And, yeah. you know, most so most of the guys that um, played this, just because of the time and everything, uh, for the most part, were just pulling models from their existing armies. I happen to have, you know, custom... I, I made my strike team for the strike team at Nova, so it was my first chance at using that. Um, but if you have a sizable legion, you could literally, I mean, you could take a couple tactical marines, take some support marines, take a terminator or two, take some seekers or whatever. Like, you could build a strike team very quickly um, with your existing army. And it's a cool way to be able to use what the unit is good at, and it really emphasizes it, because that one plasma support marine carries a lot of weight and then when he gets shot at by three or four tactical marines or the pucker factor is very high because as soon as he fails that first save he's done man and you just lost a significant amount of your firepower so Uh, it's a lot of fun steven was running melted guys and you think melted guys like oh we'll never get in that close but strike team you do and that's definitely ap1 was just oh there was nothing to do against it i'm iron hands so i don't care but my raven guard cared they cared immensely when they got shot with fucking melt to the face, let me tell you. Uh, but yeah, guys, if you haven't gotten on the strike team yet, you need to. You've probably already got a strike team assembled that will be fun to play in your army. It's 12, 13 models, maybe. So tell us shot. I use it as a really good excuse to spend extra time on all my sergeants and yes. then bring them over into my strike team. So Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I did for my word bearers was um, basically I have a heavy support squad of heavy bolters, a tactical support squad of plasma guns, tactical support squad of rotor cannons, some tactical marines. But my sergeant for each of those squads when I build out the army is included, right, just for diversity and to make them look cool and everything like that. 
So, so it's if you're starting a new army, it's also a really cool way of doing that because you can kind of nail down your paint scheme, um, start selecting some of the units that you think you're going to use for your your newer army or for your new army, um, but starting off small and kind of playing around with it. I think it's a really excellent way to either take up a new project and do something different or to just play your existing army in a new and exciting way. Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to mention this, all right? This will be the last thing, I think, and then we can wrap this up and move on to Heresy Grad School. Um, I have been wanting to put together a Talons of the Emperor strike team for a little while. So the thing is, is that you can only take one character, which means you're only going to be able to take one custode in the entire army. But that one custode is expensive. You know what I mean? And you still can be domed out by um, Plasma and Melta, all kinds of stuff. There's plenty of threats out there still. It's kind of a cool idea just seeing right. like one or two custodies wandering around with a strike team just trying to take them out. Yeah. It's kind of a neat visual. You're able to bring one custode and then sisters. And I do want to thank Jason because he got that for me. He, he built and painted up a Talons of the Emperor strike team, and it's got a, a, a custodian, uh, what is it? I guess it's a, a heteron guard who's leading the force. And then a bunch of sisters with dual-wielding pistols, one with a sword, and it is just so badass, and I cannot wait to play it. Um, nice. Super, oh, it's very cool. Super cool. And it's like seven yeah, models then, because of the, the damn heteron guard is so expensive. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the one last thing I was going to mention was um, model count is important, right? We had one dude, uh, he played his Dark Mechanicum, Duncan. So he had his, uh, I think he took... A uh, Myrmidon Destructor. And then character. two or four And he had four Thalax, three Ferox Thalax, and uh, just a standard one with a Multi-Melta. So he had five models on the board. Plus side for him is he's got Thalax that move really fast and jetpack and all that kind of stuff. But uh, you can't cover that much ground, right? And yeah. if, you, if you did get to the point where you were having to take leadership tests and you failed... You're losing a three wound model if you fail in a stubborn eight leadership test. Like yes. that's that's a little risky. But it was really cool watching that in contrast to a twelve man legion playing. So there's different ways to play this. Absolutely. So give it a shot, guys. And please, if you do a, an event, you and four of your buddies get together or three of your but whatever, you do a little game. Please email your thoughts to rva30k at gmail.com. I'll take everything into consideration and would love to hear positive and negative feedback you have. Uh, really want to hear the negative stuff. If there are holes in this that I'm not seeing, I need to know. Hey, Will, really quick uh, before we go, where can people find your strike team rules? All right, so on the Nova Open Horse Heresy group, um, we will have a link for that in the show description for you guys. Um, but in their pinned post are all the events and all the um, the primers for those events and my primers right there at the bottom. Nice. Hey, I got quick questions, Will. Yeah. Um, can you take any model with more than three wounds? No, you cannot. Can you take a strike team with units with the artillery type? No, you cannot. Can you include any vehicles of combined armor value more than 33? You cannot. Can you bring more I'm than sorry, one? Sorry, Jesse. Your entire list is legal. 
Can you bring more than one vehicle? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just reading off the stuff here. No, you can't. Um, <laughs> so, what else? Uh, tech Marines are characters at this event, by the way, guys. So don't try to just run a full <laughs> army of Tech Marines. <laughs> with the one servitor as the main character. Yeah. Just <laughs> and uh, characters with um, Chosen Warrior, or I'm sorry, units with Chosen Warrior count as characters. So you're only going to be able to bring one Caesarian mm. or one of the um, what are the Death Guard guys called, Ryan? With the sides. Death Shroud? Death Shroud. So, yep. and those, guys are char- those guys are Chosen Warrior. Um, however, HQ is not an option for selection, so you will not be able to bring a uh, Space Marine Chosen from a command squad. Mm-hmm. But I had to put that rule in because there are Caesarians. There are um, the uh, Scythe Boys, and uh, I didn't want people spamming those out. You sure. know what I mean? Yep. Because I still think, to this day, Caesarians are probably the best close combat boys out there. Because they're part of the 13th Legion, that's why. Oh, my Dark Brethren. Fake yeah, your Dark, your dark Fake Brethren would dude. probably disagree. Oh, he killed two in close combat, my friend. It was fun. <laughs> awesome. All right. I guess I'll wrap this up. Simon up. Any final uh, comments, Ryan? Nope. It was a great time. I highly recommend it. Very cool. All right. Coming up next, Battlefleet Heresy on the Remembrance's Retreat. Uh-huh. Wait a minute, Jesse. Let's back. What? Did we create a new segment just now? I thought we were doing Heresy Grad School. What did I say? You said Battlefleet Heresy. God damn. <laughs> I think we're all excited for Battlefleet Heresy. Got to get it under control, uh, sir. <laughs> Heresy Grad School coming up next on the Remembrancers Retreat. So, Will, I'm actually um, waiting for some bits to arrive, but I'm kind of looking to do an Imperium Secundus list. Ooh, yeah, dude, you need would that would that be uh, legal? Terminators. If I if I had a little bit of a mix of Ultramarine, Blood Angel, and Dark Angel, one hundred percent. This is Perfect. all about painting and theme. Please do that. Like, cool. You can do all that stuff. You want to throw in some Ultramarine Breachers with Power Swords and then use those badass Dark Angel Terminators you have with Halberds and then just, I don't know, some uh, uh, Blood Angels Assault Marines. By all means, please do it. I want to see that stuff. That's like 100% what I need to see at this point. It's more of a hobby thing than a... uh, Yeah. 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 I can get behind that. Dude, I love what you're doing, Will. I feel like it's it's almost like a one-off Necromunda or... Inquisimunda, which I have no idea what that is, but Austin talks about it. Like, I feel like it's a one-off of that, but could easily become its own little mini-narrative campaign. Yeah, I'm hoping so. Yeah. And I would totally love to run a miniature campaign of this. Yeah, we'll, we'll just spread it that out would over be six cool. missions over the period of, I don't know, like a, two months or something like that, or four missions over two months, that we have two weeks to do each one, and just um, 
oh, dude, we could totally do like leveling up characters where it's not going to be crazy like our current yeah. character advancement stuff, but it'll be like regain a wound if you lost it. Or uh, uh, we're basically doing Heresy Necromunda. Yeah, I guess right. Yeah, I, I, really behind the, rule, rule I think so. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's <laughs> yeah. So a uh, quick question for you guys. Um, so my lion model, he stands just a little bit taller than Horus himself. Would you put him on a 60 millimeter or a 40 millimeter? Uh, he goes on a 40 millimeter. All pre marks on 40. Okay, because he's he's standing almost head to head with a with a a dreadnought at the moment. So no, he needs to be on stage singing Nickelback covers. Yeah. <laughs> Look at this photograph. <laughs> well, I put a speaker on the display board. You never know. Yeah. Yeah, that just plays speak. That just plays Nickelback. Just constantly. Holy shit, he does look like that dude from Nickelback now that I'm thinking about it. When they <laughs> drew his artwork, <laughs> when they put his artwork together on that, uh, um, oh, what's the one where it's got the lion, Gilliman, and... Uh, Ruin Storm. Yeah, Ruin Storm. Yeah, I know. They, to- they totally I know. made him look like a, the lead singer. I know. I know, Will. I know. As much as people <laughs> make it, he did end up marrying Avril Lavigne, so... Yeah. Wow. Oh, really? Yeah. Dude was doing something huh. I guess nice. so. yeah, he was looking at photographs. That's why. Yeah. Well played. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's All right. Are we gonna? Okay. So forty millimeter. And, uh, okay. We're going. Yeah. 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 Their their game bases are on forty, and their displays are on um, like eighties. Huh? Well, I guess it depends. There's no limit for their display, really. I think I'm going to make a display board too. Overboard. Can y'all imagine the cons, uh, Primark base, for the bike? That's right. They're making two of those, right? Did they confirm they're making a standing guy? One on foot, one on a bike? Yeah, they said they're going to have a on foot and on bike. That's crazy. (laughs) I don't know how to to feel about that. I'm assuming it's going to be two separate models. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be two models. This is like a sweet little uh, Lego bike that he's standing straight up and you just kind of sit him in the bike. I actually don't really know the details. They just confirm there will be an on-foot Primark model, and then there's going to be him mounted. So I don't know if they're going to be... They'll be released within three years of each other, probably. So here's, here's what I'm hoping, right? I'm hoping the on-foot one just has, like, pre-drilled magnet holes on the feet, and then his mount is just a Razorback, and you just, like, yeah. class him to the Razorback. <laughs> you know, it would also be kind of... Well, I guess... Since they, they already confirmed two models, but if they like magnetized them at the torso, I bet you oh, they yeah, can find right? some creative ways to. Yeah, yeah, not a bad idea. Maybe I don't know. I know I've put in some uh, plenty of Mark III torsos on some bikes, so yeah, it's All not right, so fun, gonna, but it works. Take yep. break and take a break real quick. Um, Craig is already recording again, but we can take a quick break too. Yeah, I've got to go fine. to the bathroom. Right. I guess do your thing, uh, Doctor J. Nope, that's not it. All right. And with that, we're back, guys. Heresy Grad School with Jason and Dave. I forget if you're a doctor or not, because we'll just drop that on us. Anyway, take it away, guys. All right. Welcome back again, crew, to Heresy Grad School, where we get you ready for the exam at the end of the semester. Think of us like the uh, 
nerdy version of the GRE, which uh, you know, Pat is at home having a lot of fun with now. Shout out to Pat. Uh, I didn't have to take the GRE when I rolled into grad school, but, uh, you know, have fun with that. <laughs> Good luck, Pat. That poor bastard. <laughs> Anywho, so speaking of all sorts of fun science and technology, today Dave and I are going to be doing possibly our deepest dive in crazy lore so far. Uh, we're going to be getting into the military structure and organization of the Mechanicum at large. Hell yes. And not only that, we're going to be dipping way back into the history of the Mechanicum. So one of the things I've noticed, I was, uh, I've always been a huge fan of the Mechanicum uh, pretty early on, and I was really excited when they started bringing out like the Skatari stuff for 40K. I hadn't played 40K in years by then, but uh, some of the new models were amazing. And I can still remember pre-ordering those Thalax right when they came out uh, way, way back when. Uh, they were the first Mechanicum models I think Forge World ever did. But uh, I can remember pre-ordering way too many of those, and I've still got the original nine I bought. Uh, in my Dark Mechanicum army now. But, um, big fan, say. But one thing I've noticed over the years is a lot of folks are kind of confused how the Mechanicum works. They know it's like, oh, those are the guys that make uh, tanks and stuff for the Emperor, right? Well, it's a little more complicated than that. Uh, some Mechanicum players themselves don't even have that great of an idea of it. Kind of get the divide between the Pogmata, the Ordo Reductor, and the Legio Cybernetica, which are kind of like the uh, three flavors of Mechanicum you can play in-game. But uh, it goes even deeper than that. So today what Dave and I are going to do, uh, to start out, we're going to break down how it is a Forge World builds a Tagmata when it needs to have a military force ready to go for war. Uh, Dave and I were discussing this a little while back, too. And it's very unique as a whole uh, how the military structure of the Mechanicum works. Because an Astartes, with very, very few exceptions, is purely a military machine, more or less. Uh, Astartes are constructed to be the ultimate soldiers. They are not, well, with, again, with very few exceptions, they're not politicians. They're not infrastructure engineers. Uh, they are warriors. Now, of course, you have things like the Iron Warriors, who are very much engineers, but they are siege engineers. Or you have Ultramarines, who are kind of politicians in their own special little blue way, but they're politicians insofar that it helps them to control a planet to create something like the 500 worlds, which is an excellent example of like a military power machine, but it's not how the Mechanicum operate. Majos and the Mechanicum are very unique compared to Astartes in that not only are they war leaders, but they are also fabricators. They run their own forges, but they're also scientists because they're constantly delving into what makes a better thalax. Uh, it's not at the point of 40K. 
in that every bit of technology is sacred and to alter it in the slightest way is techno heresy and you're going to wake up with like a rust stalker under your bed it's it's not that creepy yet uh well it is pretty creepy i'm not gonna lie but in different ways and there's still magi out there discovering new standard template constructs but two they're also historians uh, every Magos has their own repository of knowledge that they've accumulated uh, along with technology. One of the base tenets that we'll be getting into next time of the Mechanicum hierarchy as a whole is the idea that knowledge is the base of all power. Guard it well. And not only is a Mechanicum Magos higher up the hierarchy, more powerful militarily, but they're also more technologically savvy. They're also uh, in possession of greater wells of knowledge, bigger data libraries. And also, they're very much a religious sect in very stark contrast to what the emperor uh, says he's trying to do and essentially wipe out religion from the galaxy with the cold, hard science of imperial truth, the Mechanicum have taken science and they've taken war and they have taken means of production and engineering and they've turned it into a religion. And I think Steve summed it up very well in that even though the Imperium of Man and the Mechanicum have been allies, uh, for close on 200 years before the Great Crusade kicks off, the Emperor's probably, well, I mean, if he didn't get stuck on the Golden Throne, of course, was probably not thinking of uh, honoring that compact with Mars in the first place, because uh, I'll be goddamned if half of the Imperium is going to end up some sort of wacky robot church. Now, the compact I'm talking about here, on Terra, it's referred to as the Treaty of Mars, and in the Martian Mechanicum, it's referred to as the Treaty of Olympus. This is back when uh, one of the best sources you can check out for this is the novel Mechanicum by Graham McNeil. It's pretty early on in the Horus Heresy series. I think, don't quote me on it, it's book eight or nine. But it's pretty exceptional in that you see so many of the underpinnings of the Mechanicum, which up until this point in the fluff has not been that well fleshed out besides like, you know, Majos hanging out, working on tanks in the engine pools, lending, you know, engineering wisdom and whatnot. Uh, outside of that, or maybe uh, the novel Titanicus. I know it's one of Dave's favorites. Um, Rereading it now, I can remember why I used to love it so much when I first read it, read it uh, way back when. But, yeah, uh, no, I, th I think you, you hit on it, Jason. I think between Mechanicus or Mechanicum, uh, Graham McNeil, and Titanicus, Dan Abnett, um, those two novels are quintessential in really, in, in really fleshing out what the Mechanicum is. And then if you dive into the Black Books um, or, or the Red Book, which is what I think we're both looking at today, which is page 12 and 13 of, of the Mechanicum, um Tagmat army list so it's that taxonomy um if you guys have any ability to go back and, and either listen to or read mechanicum and titanicus and then get into the black books 
I, I mean, that's that's sort of the the, the body of work that really is going to um, give you the the background and and data on the Mechanicum, which is just total fascinating. I mean, it's really something that I think was only alluded to uh, in the Warhammer Forty Thousand universe. Um, uh, up until very recently, I, I'm, I'm going to say I'm. I think the Horse Heresy has really given the Mechanicum the depth that it that it never had uh, in any of the four thousand or forty thousand settings. It's a really good point, and one of the things I love most about Titanicus, a lot of the same things you hear about in Mechanicum have still been carried over. There's still a uh, a huge problem in what's called the Martian schism. And it's a little bit of a misnomer. The basic idea, and the basic idea people have gotten out of it, is it's, uh, again, as Steve has kind of subsequently summed up, uh, omnissiah or not. Because there's this idea in the Martian Mechanicum of either is the emperor himself the omnissiah or is he not? Uh, and it's a little bit of a misnomer because it's a little more complicated than that. It's not just an idea of is the emperor the omnissiah or is he not? There's also um, a good example is Coriel Zeth, uh, yeah. one of the Mechanicum adepts, uh, Mechanicum novel. Uh, she doesn't think that the emperor is the omnissiah. She thinks that he is a, not so much a prophet, but a amazing scientist engineer and technician with some knowledge and research greater than the Mechanicum itself, and that he's there and he will lead them into a new terrific age, but he's not a god. She even says, like, he is an amazing man, but a man still. And two, uh, she doesn't believe in the Omnissiah as anything more than a fable, which is really far out there from how, in the 40K setting, the Omnissiah, or um, the Deus Mahina, uh, is referred to as a creator deity. And every bit of his technology is sacred, which is where that idea of altering it, uh, heresy comes from. But, uh, go ahead. Yeah, no, Jason, I think, I think Coriel Zeth is really an important figure in sort of the understanding what the Mechanicum is, right? Um, but if you go back into the into the earliest foundations of the Mechanicum, um, you, you know, there's lore that talks about the Mechanicum of Mars being sort of a a schism of priests that were like uh, tech priests that were founded during the earliest ages of strife. So this is this is immediately after essentially chaos breaks out, right? Warp rifts break, break out throughout the galaxy. So all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you've got the height of human technology, right? The golden age of human technology. We've got, um, you know, settlements out into the furthest reaches of the galaxy. And then the age of strife breaks out. Warp storms, warp rifts, demons coming through the veil, right? So humanity's worst horrors are realized. And they're realized throughout the galaxy on every planet at the same time, right? Nightmares become reality. Well, on Mars, 
how this works out is there was already sort of a, a technocratic priesthood on Mars, but their, their religion becomes almost fanatical in the, you know, in, in sort of reaction to this, this manifestation of, 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 of demons and, and sort of chaos incursion. Right. And so that's the beginning of the, Mechanicum of Mars. Now, what does Coriol Zeth represent? Coriol Zeth represents this idea that there is still humanity in the Mechanicum, right? So she is the enlightenment as it's seen on Mars. She can still appreciate knowledge and she can appreciate the ability to kind of go out and, and seek knowledge for itself. It's not just about the Omnissiah and applying you know, holy unguents and oils and saying, you know, <laughs> saying the litany over and over again. You know, she's she is a thinking, you know, human being who's encased in a in a body, but but she's part of this structure, this religious cult uh called the Bellicosa Omnissiah that is evolved because of the age of strife. And so that's why Mars is just so different than Terra, right? Mars has just had a totally different um, background and, and sort of they've survived the age of strife uh, really it, it much more intact and much, much better than um, Earth because of this religious sect that was there. So, Jason, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack. I definitely want to come back to Coriol Zeth, but thought that was a sort of a, a good point uh, where we were right now. It's uh, definitely something we're going to come back to as we go here, because again, it's just one facet of the Martian Mechanicum. And one thing you pointed out that a lot of people seem to overlook is that at its core, the Martian Mechanicum, as far as they are from Terran humans, they are still human. And they are still a human colony that, albeit very, very separate, they have evolved as humans in a completely different way to the humans on Earth. And like you were talking about, the Age of Strife did terrible things to them, but they reacted to it and they overcame it differently. Now, um, when they initially were fighting back to take Mars back is where they created things like the Collegia Titanica to help them take back Mars from the Age of Strife. And uh, we touched on that a little bit when we were talking about Mortis, or Legio Mortis, from the uh, Collegia Titanica last episode. But, um, <clears throat> excuse me, going along that same line of thinking here, uh, looking at that chart you referenced, I want to check that out in a little more depth. We're on uh, page 13 right now. And uh, in this organizational structure, like we were talking about before, uh, it's not just a military structure. It's also a scientific research structure. It's also a production and fabrication structure. And it's also very much a religious structure. Uh, Again, in almost complete contrast to what the emperor himself is doing, the entire hierarchy of the Mechanicum is set up as a religious structure with 
the best scientist and engineer and fabricator at the top. And that would, at the moment of the heresy and quite some time before, at least 200 years, because he was the acting fabricator general when the emperor showed up, was uh, Kelbor Hall. Now, Kelbor Hall, uh, he does eventually, a uh, little spoiler alert for later, uh, end up siding with Horus here. And that is a whole rabbit hole we will have to get down uh, with uh, how badly Dorn fuck-handed that top of uh, Istvan Five, But that's neither here nor there. So what you need to know is in this power structure, it's very feudal. Uh, Kelbor Hall is at the top of that chain. And every single Forge World, ostensibly, like obviously they're outliers, but ostensibly reports to him. And Mars as a whole. So, Jason, if you're if you're on page thirteen and you're looking at this this chart, right, this taxonomy yes. or task organization, I guess as we would call it, um, Kelbor Hall as the fabricator general is actually going to be above the Arch Magos uh, intendant, right? Mm-hmm. That okay. is you see over in that tiny little thing there off to the right, it's a fealty to more powerful Forge Worlds and ultimately Mars. <laughs> uh, diving into this little chart here, let's break it down. So every Forge World, no matter how large or how small, has an Archmagos intended. And it's roughly analogous to like a planetary governor for the Imperium. Uh, so if you want to think of like Yugen uh, Timber, uh, even though that didn't uh, work out so hot. but uh, and of course, like every different Forge world, it does not have the same rigid uh, categorized structure that a uh, Imperial Expeditionary Fleet would have. Like for an Expeditionary Fleet, every planet that gets taken over is numbered uh, with like the 13th planet that Expeditionary Fleet 63 is taken over is, you know, 1363. And it keeps working like that all the way down the chain. Now, uh, with the Archmagos Intendant, there are tons of different positions that all roughly fill the same role. And it gives a couple of examples, such as uh, one, I think one of the cooler ones is the Hierophant Technus from Ryza, Forge World, or the uh, Revered Comptroller from Phaeton Prime. Uh, they all fill the same deal as essentially being prime warlord of their government and of that uh, entire Forge production structure. Underneath him um, is sort of like uh, the little school of cardinals to the Archmagos Intendant's Pope, if you will. Uh, It's what's called the Holy Synod of the Lord Magos. Now, this is like his little uh, group of attendant Magos, each one of whom is also a very powerful uh, Magos in their own right. They probably own their own forge fane. They are in charge of tons of production of huge stores of knowledge and technology and uh, that starts out uh, it's called as a whole and it's even called the chamber cardinal uh, but the archimander and it's consistent of the archimagos the magos majoris and the magos ordinary in that order it's kind of a descending stepwise of importance Hey, Jason, let me, let me just ask you a question and I don't know the answer to this I haven't dug into it enough but I'm assuming that in this Holy Synod of the Lords Magos, 
you would find like Coriolzeth and Appluvium Maximal and um, the sort of the other Forge Lords and Forge Fanes uh, that were part of Mars. Would, would that be correct? One would assume. Yeah. Mars itself is pretty enormous, so it's probably going to have a synod that's a lot more expansive. But yeah, uh, the basic idea is that each of these Majos has their own Forge Fane, and because they have a Forge Fane, they're essentially like a, uh, a medieval knight. They report to a baron who reports to the king, etc. Yeah, and if you look at it as a religious order, right, like a cardinal is only reporting to the pope, right? So there's nobody higher that you're reporting to. So that, you know, I mean, that would make sense. If you're a forge fane, if you're a lord or a magos, I guess, you would only be reporting to whoever, you know, the, the ruler of that world is, that forge world, or to potentially Mars directly, right? Indeed. Now, uh, a little farther down that chain brings us to the Tagmata itself. Now, the thing that's interesting about the Mechanicum is the idea of a Tagmata is not a standing army. Like, the Astartes are all soldiers all the time, and they each have their very specifically sized uh, companies, which are under specifically sized companies. captaincies, and so on. Now, of course, you know, some of the other legions do it a little differently, like the Death Guard are organized under battle captains and grand companies, but in general, it's a lot more rigid structure. A Tagmata is, well, in a technolinguist, is uh, that which is divinely ordered for war, and it's the military sort of reflection of a forge world's kind of power structure being mustered for battle. And what's unique about it, again, it's not a standard arm, a standing army. Uh, each one of the majos in the chain that we just talked about, and then on down to the very lowest uh, tech adept who is just in charge of overseeing production on a forge line, is all responsible for keeping things together and in line. Right. So. Uh, when Sergius and Magos, when they, like, buy a a new bottle of oil or whatever, you know, machine boys do, is there, like, a fabricator general warning on the pack? Like, this may cause rust or something? (laughs) Yes, Robbie. Yes. Yes. It does does come with a disclaimer. It comes with a... Yes. And... The fabricator general's warning is this may cause death. Um, If you're pregnant and you use it, it will definitely cause death. Um, If you're underage and you use it, it will absolutely cause death. And if you're anybody else, it will 99.9% cause death. Cool. Make sure the fabricator general warning is a thing. That's right. That's what it's. It's actually Imperium mandated uh, to be applied to all. Uh, fabricator general uh, there are ancient texts from the land of Calphronia in the ancient land of America that mentions something about cancer as well oh really yes yeah may Uh, cause cancer may cause uh, yeah 
I mean, those, yeah, I feel like those parts can, whoa, just be replaced. Did we lose Jason? Jason, come back, dude. Well, technical difficulties, but we can get through it. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get through it, man. No worries. Um, yeah. But yeah. Pretty cool, interesting stuff here. No, this is this is this is deep in the lore, right? So, I mean, when you're like the the fucking Mechanicum is there, they're just such a rabbit hole to go down, and um, yeah, yeah. So, the the idea that Mars and Earth, right? So there were some, there was like some, just like the guys who came out of um, like the Pilgrims, right? That came out of like. Uh, I guess Western Europe, right? You know, mm-hmm. during during the religious persecutions, they were like, "I'm going to America so I can practice my religion, dude." Yeah, you know, like that. That I feel like that's the same thing that sent them to um, to Mars, right? So you had this, sure. But so then, I mean, there were. I mean, so then, the Age of Strife happened, and it was a nightmare. I mean, it was literally a nightmare nightmares became reality so i don't even think we like we don't really i think we talk about it in the background fluff and and sort of the techno barbarians and the age of strife i think we talk about it but i don't think we really realize what that meant um and why that was so important right that was the reason the emperor started his thunder warriors that was the reason the emperor started his um you know unification wars is you know, humanity was on an extinction path. And, you know, had not the emperor become sort of the tyrant that he is, like humanity was within a generation going to become essentially non-viable. But Jason, you're a Baxa. Yeah, sorry about Sweet. that. Sweet. All right. That's cool. We had the Robbie comedy hour. It's all good. Yeah, I can appreciate that. I appreciate your comedic stylings. Oh, and we just lost Robbie. Oh, there he's back. Okay, anyway, continue on, Jason. <laughs> so, apologies for that. I had a little uh, internet shortage there. But, uh, so, uh, let's see here. So, uh, as we were talking about, every Magos down that line, from the Archmagos intendant who himself is responsible for Mars, uh, down to the lowest tech Magos in the lowest production line, is responsible for a portion of a Tagmata. So if a Magos halfway up the line calls for a Tagmata to be formed, every Magos under him is responsible for a specific portion of that Tagmata. So a Tagmata can be huge. It can be uh, forces comprised from multiple forge worlds, even multiple systems, or it can be pretty small down to just like a few units by themselves. But regardless, uh, each one of those specific majos is responsible for what's called the Tagma, which is one of those individual little building blocks, no matter what they're responsible for, be it some tech thralls, be it a wing of uh, cohorts of battle robots, be it just the ammunition uh, used for auto-reductor siege vehicles. Uh, all of them are responsible for a t- part of building that Tagmana. And uh, the Tagmata itself, depending on the size of it, is always assigned what's called a Majos Prime. 
Uh, typically, when it's something from uh, the Forge World level, it's one of the majors from that synod we were talking about. Essentially, one of the uh, cardinals of the uh, robot church put in control of this Togmata when it's set to war. Now, starting out, uh, when these Togmatas were being created before the Great Crusade, they were essentially defensive measures. Uh, there were some Forge Worlds that really didn't have to worry about any sort of Xenos incursion. And there were others that got very adept at forming them because they were almost under constant assault from orcs, from Eldar, from what have you. And as they were built uh, into Tagmana, uh, they were also, uh, during the Great Crusade, starting to be assigned to expeditionary fleets. This was one of the first times they'd started to uh, have been used in a more active role instead of just a defensive one. So it was definitely a new thing for the Mechanicum to bring together to start forming these things and uh, sending them out and away from the Forge world in long-range expeditions like this. And the Tagmata Omnissiah itself is one-third of what's called the Triad Magna of the Mechanicum military power. The other two-thirds of that is the Collegia Titanica and the uh, Scatari Legion. And uh, additionally, it's a, there are lesser divisions, uh, things like Nighthouse, the Legio, uh, the Porta Reductor, the Legio Cybernetica, uh, different Explorer fleets, things like that. We'll get into that next episode. But um, just like each one of these Forge Worlds is sort of like a kingdom, a feudal kingdom in its own right, all of those are controlled by Mars. And their entire political power structure down this line of feudalism is, it's definitely tied to military might and production capability, but it's also based on knowledge. It's based on the amount and the, um, the esotericness of the craft, like a majos that can produce something that is more far-flung and rare is going to be higher up the chain than one that produces like a very common arm or armament. And uh, it's also based on their position within their sort of sacred rite and their holy order. <clears throat> and when one of these giant multi-forge uh, world Tagmatas is formed, uh, regardless of who's put in place of it, uh, that Magos is designated the prime. And this is a really, really valuable position for a Magos because not only are you can, in control of terrific, you know, military might, you're also in a prime position for acquiring that knowledge and potentially even new technology that is so valuable to Mars. So it can definitely send you sh um, shooting up the power structure in a way that really doesn't happen on a forge world itself. So I think that's a big reason of why they were so attracted to actually going out with some of these exploratory fleets, which is, uh, again, the military force behind the exploratory fleets we'll get in next time. But just know for now, it's a huge new realm of opportunity for the Mechanicum. Yeah, Jason, just one thing on that. I, I think um, sort of important for listeners to know, right, and just people in general is that when these exploratory fleets started launching out, 
it, it, it really wasn't this quest for knowledge to, you know, bring back, um, I guess, like working knowledge or, or secrets or, or make contact. Like the exploratory fleets started because literally the Mechanicum on Mars had no idea what the fuck was going on in the rest of the galaxy. So the Age of Strife happened, warp storms broke out throughout the galaxy. I mean, this is the most like dystopian version of of the future you can imagine. And they were they were sending out arc fleets and exploratory fleets to just try to figure out like like was the galaxy even there? Right, like, w- like, were people even still there? Like, was there, you know, human habitation outside of the realm that they could communicate in, which was, which was essentially the solar system? So they were sending these, these, these arc exploratory fleets out blind in the hopes that they could, you know, reestablish contact with um, humanity and, and civilizations and and report back. So, um, yeah, just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, that is a very good point. And uh, one of the things well, uh, we can touch on next episode is a lot of the uh, kind of questions behind why the Emperor and the Mechanicum end up in an alliance in the first place. But uh, I think that's a, a good place to bring it to a close tonight. Sounds good. Well, thank you, Dave, and thank you, Jason. That was a lot of fun to listen to, and I uh, can't wait for the next segment. Glad to hear it. It's what we're here to do, educate and entertain. Awesome. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break and uh, be right back to uh, close everything up. Tweet. All right. Cool business. Yeah, I can hear you just fine. Okay, I don't know what the hell my internet is doing. It's like super weird. But uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Dave, did you hear me when I said like thanks for doing that uh, deep dive on the lore? Oh no, I don't think so. Did you guys hear that? Mm, no, I didn't hear that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, <laughs> thanks for uh, doing the <laughs> deep dive yeah. on the lore for that. I appreciate it. No worries, man. I got more to come. I mean, I'm just finding stuff like. The Visions of Heresy, amazing, dude. There's lots of cool stuff in there. I love those books. Well, I gotta let you guys go for tonight. Uh, Wife just got home groceries, and I gotta go uh, be a responsible husband. Yes, you'll be a responsible husband. Awesome. All right. Uh, Yes. Adios. Cool. All right, and we're back. I had to say bye to Jason. It's just uh, me, Robbie, and Dave now. So I'm going to wrap this up here real quick. Um, some minor show notes here. On July 28th, when we get this event thing up here, we will be assisting the Forgotten Legion 30K podcast and several other podcasts with the second annual podcast against Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy. It's going to be a basically a live stream charity run. Um, more details to follow, but yeah, it's going to be a good time. 
We're going to be uh, broadcasting live, and I believe through uh, Google Hangouts and through YouTube. But, yeah, look forward to that. Uh, Dave, you got anything? Yeah, just two quick things, uh, Jesse. Uh, next Saturday, so June 9th, the Battle of the Ash Wastes will be kicking off. This is the second battle for Ariana Forge. The first battle was the, um, I guess it was the uh, desperate uh, foothold that the Loyalists were able to claim and uh, basically uh, hold off the de- complete destruction of the world uh, at the hands of the secessionist traders uh, of the Forge world of Ariana. However, the second battle of the Ash Waste is going to be a um, it's going to be a super heavy battle. So, warlords, warhounds, and reavers will play heavily, as well as night house, night houses, and uh, as well as as super heavy vehicles like sh- shadow swords and falchions and um, fell blades. So this is going to be a very unique event. Um, it is a proof of concept in a lot of ways for me uh, as the event organizer. Um, I want to see what the response is from the community on this event, but I also want to encourage people to come out. And if you have ever wanted to play in this type of uh, of game, it's not APOC because it's not on a 2 by 6 or a four by six table. It's not on a four by twelve table. It's on a ten by thirty table. So you will be thirty feet away from the opponents. You will have the room to maneuver. You will have <laughs> room to yeah. So all those rules that that Games Workshop wrote, you know, 10, 15 years ago, three hundred and sixty inch range, nine hundred inch range on a vortex missile launcher. All those rules that Forge World and GW wrote that you've never been able to play that just look ridiculous in a book, but give you some perspective on uh, what these units are capable of. Um, this is this is the setting for that, right? So if you've ever really wanted to do that type of game um, in 28 millimeter, uh, I highly encourage you to come out June 9th at Battlegrounds. It's going to be amazing. Uh, we've got an amazing amount of swag for it. Uh, both Wake, one of our uh, local designers here uh, in Richmond 30K, he's designed some beautiful uh, command point tokens for the event, as well as Kurt, who's uh, an, a pretty well-known artist within the community. He's done some posters, which are going to be an event exclusive. Um, and uh, Battlegrounds is hosting it, so big props to Battlegrounds again for letting us have their uh their back room Uh, so we'll be the only folks in the back room on june 9th uh we're going to put all the tables against the wall roll out a 30 by 10 mat and uh and we're just going to have at it we're going to have a hell of a good time um i know that there are going to be warlords coming down from uh maryland and i know there are going to be reavers and warhounds on the ground from all over the place so and i know jesse you're bringing a night night house Yes. House Viridian from the Master of Mankind will yeah. kind enough to build and paint all that up. So, yeah, dude. I'm, no, I'm just I'm, I'm an awesome commission. I, every time I look at it in the living room, I just ah, it just looks so amazing. I'm I'm gonna cosplay as an Imperator Titan 
Um, yes. <laughs> yes. We are actually dressing Robbie up as an imperial. Yeah, yeah, I will be a game piece. So, we are actually not dressing Robbie up as an imperative titan. Don't <laughs> worry, anybody who is actually coming to this event, like you're good. Um, but Robbie, you are coming, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I just have to go in spurts. If I get tired, I'm gonna have to sit down. Other than that, uh, I'll bring uh, my titan and and all my super heavies, and we'll throw down, man. I'm awesome. No, dude, totally psyched, man. I definitely, definitely look forward to seeing you there. Um, yeah, so this is going to be a hell of a lot of fun, guys. And if it works out and people have a good time, we'll do it again. Um, and we'll just keep going from there. And I also wanted to just quickly give a shout-out to the folks that have been buying the Heresy Grad School stickers. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. I mean, what a response, dude. I am super humbled by the response of the community. And I really appreciate you guys jumping on and and uh, and uh, clicking that link because those dollars definitely go to supporting both this podcast and the events that we put on and the... Um, broader community in the art. So thank you again. And uh, if you guys want anything more uh, in the future, if you'd like to see more products available, um, whatever that may be, uh, shoot us an email, man, uh, or hit us up on Facebook. And thank you again for the folks that have uh, definitely jumped on that. Uh, we couldn't do it without you. So cheers. That's all cheers. I got, Jesse. Yeah, man. Robbie, what about yourself? Uh, I would just like to plug first medicine uh, just by, you know, the, the grace of living in America. And, you know, it really, you know, sometimes it gives you some perspective, you know, and I just want to shout out to everybody uh, to really, really be blessed for where you come from and the opportunities that you get to take. So if you take a little bit from me, love where you're from. Very cool. Thanks, Robbie. All right. And with that being said, and to correct myself, it's the uh, third annual Heresy Against DMD, not second. And the Boys of the Golden Throne and a whole bunch of other podcasts will be there July well, 28th. Jesse, we should talk a little bit about that probably yeah. later. but um, Yes, we're definitely going to hit up on that coming up soon when we get a little more information in detail. Um, if you guys are interested in checking it out, um, it should be a public event. But yeah, um, Horus Heresy against DMD, which if my computer would be so kind as to work with me, find events. So, yes. So essentially what this is, is we're, we're raising money to fight Duchenne's disease. Um, uh, and Jesse has graciously, graciously uh, agreed to host this at his place. and Yes, we're going to have everybody can make it. It's going to be partying at my place. We're going to be live streaming, raising money. We're going to have hopefully my Zone Mortalis board up, rolling around with that. Hopefully Austin will bring his Battlefleet Heresy so we can show off some of that. And uh, yeah, it's just going to be a good time. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun and help support a good cause. Really looking forward to it. Hell yeah, man. So Absolutely. Definitely Thank stay you. tuned. Absolutely. Thank Carol. She was also uh, gracious enough to let us uh, <laughs> crash here as well. So, 
Woo-hoo! Right? So yeah, it's going to be good. i am already got the layout in my head, and hopefully I can get it all set up and good to go. We should be yeah. fine. And and I think we might try to get uh, some type of um, Patreon up before that because or, – or some way that folks can, can contribute to the cause because this is going to be the first time uh, we're going to be – on video this is going to be this is going to be like a twitch yep. tv event right yep. or maybe not on oh. <laughs> twitch but it's going to be like yeah, that it's live yeah. stream yep yeah, yeah. I've, I've got some uh got some equipment okay yeah i hope people so, don't are ugly that would <laughs> like oh god i can't listen yeah. to it anymore now i know what it looks like face to the face of the voice jesus oh yeah but i think it'll be fun so yeah Stay tuned for that for more information. We'll be putting it out there. And, yeah, that's going to be exciting. It's going to be probably one of our uh, – probably our first big event as a podcast, I guess. Because, honestly, yeah, I, think so. we, I don't think any of us have ever recorded together <laughs> from anywhere. I don't think two of us have been in the same place at one time for – what's this now? 25, 26 episodes? Yeah, it's going to be I've weird. lost count. It's going to be weird to record with pants on. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, you know, tons of fun. So thank you all for uh, this awesome night, this awesome podcast. Thank you all for listening. And uh, until next time, I'm Jesse. Dave. I'm Robbie. Have a good night. See you again. Later. Oh God, I hope I can redo it. My name is Craig, and I really like you guys. Just think of the worst uh, rendition of Mickey Mouse you can think of. And yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> oh, boy. I just picture that South Park episode where he's just a dick. <laughs> Perfect. Good times. Okay, I'm going to try this without the uh, push to talk and see how it goes from there. Don't let out a big old fart right now because everybody will. <laughs> Excuse yeah. me. See, that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I'll be discreet, promise. Oh, my goodness.